Amen. Well, for the last time, for a little while at least, open your Bibles to Matthew. This is it. This is the last of our Matthew sermon series. Matthew 28, we're going to look at verse 16 through 20. Next week, Genesis. First book of the New Testament, first book of the Old Testament. It's going to be so much fun. I'll tell you, I, uh, this is not where I'm naturally inclined to go. Um, if I'm left to choose, I'm probably going to go with one of Paul's letters. Uh, if I'm really left to choose, I'm just going to hit Philippians forever. If I could do it, I would. I just love that book. And, uh, but, you know, God's Word is perfect. And we really need Genesis. Uh, we got to get this. I, I told the first service this. If, if just having studied it now, I really believe that if all I had was uh, just 12 weeks, if I had a 12-week series, if I could only give you 12 messages, I'd give you the first 12 chapters of Genesis. Because you, you get that. You get those first 12 chapters. You got every answer to every great question. You can't miss. You tell me how, how you deal with Genesis 1 through 12, and it'll tell me a lot about how you view Scripture and how you view God. So we got to go there. It's going to be fun. Invite somebody. This is, this is relevant. Uh, it's evangelistic. Jesus is right there at the beginning, isn't he? It's, this book is a book about Jesus. So we're going to preach Jesus, too, from, from Genesis Chapter 1 through 12. So, so join us. I, I, right before we jump in here, too, I, I want to tell you, we, we've made an adjustment to our membership process. And, and so I want to let you know as we begin a new year. From now on, moving forward, if you want to join Lenexa Baptist Church, you need to go to a membership class. Okay, We've never done this before, but we prayed as a staff just about how we best do this. And we feel like this is incredibly important. Now, we're not, we're not just trying to create another uh, hoop that you've got to jump through or or try to make it more difficult to join Lenexa Baptist. That's not what this is about. Number one, it's about making sure that you know Christ. Because it really, as, as um, the pastor here, I, one of the things that really burdens my heart is there's people that would come to this church or maybe even somehow join this church and we're not certain uh, that they can articulate a salvation experience. Because that's the most important thing. And we need, a, we need an environment and a place where we can engage you in that kind of way. And then, two, we want to help you be all that God has designed you to be. And as we're going to see this morning, our goal is not just to get as many people in this room as we can. Our goal is disciple you, to make disciples, to make disciples that make disciples. And that's our call. And we feel like we need a class where we can sit and help us better understand you and better understand how we can help you. Uh, Pastor Brian Griffin, uh, he's in Asia on a mission trip this weekend, but he's put a lot of work into this. So you thank him for it. But if, you, uh, if you're here this morning, you're watching online, uh, you're in the venue service, and uh, you're saying, boy, I really feel like God's leading me to Lenexa Baptist Church, you need to sign up for that February 2nd Discover LBC class. We'll, we'll offer them the first Sunday of every month at 11 a.m. All right, first Sunday, every month, 11 a.m., go to that class. And then we'll help you get engaged here at Lenexa Baptist Church. Well, Matthew 28. We know this. So many of you, uh, this is going to be uh, old material. You've heard this a million times. But it's always good to get a refresher course. You know, in the spirit of um, the playoffs, the football playoffs, um, the Green Bay Packers, the 1960s. Uh, that great, before the Patriots, it was the Green Bay Packers and... Uh, uh, Coach Vince Lombardi. And who was the quarterback? Bart Starr. Bart Starr. 
And who was that great tailback? Paul Hornig, golden boy. There's some great stories about Paul Hornig and, and Vince Lombardi that are actually quite funny. Um, because Paul Hornig liked to party a little bit. And Vince Lombardi was pretty straight-laced. Uh, but anyway, I did a little research this week. It's funny stuff. But they had those two pulling guards. It was a very simple play. One play. They, they did some other things, but this was their bread and butter. It was called the power sweep. And they had uh, Jerry Kramer, Fuzzy Thurston, and those pulling guards. And boy, if you wa- I went back. You, you can watch the video of this stuff. If you like this, it's fun. It is a beautiful play. And these two pulling guards, they just come out. Ladies, I'm sorry. All I got is athlete stuff. I mean, if, if, if you're not into that, I got nothing else. I don't got no ballerina stories or anything like that. Um, not that that. I just all goofed that up. But anyway, pulling guards. Let's get back. Pulling guards, all right? You got these pulling guards coming around. And behind them was the fullback, Jim Taylor. And then there was Paul Horning. And every year when, when um, Vince Lombardi would get the guys together for training camp, you know the very first thing they would do? He'd get them in the locker room. He'd pull up a chalkboard. And you know what he'd do? He'd diagram the power sweep. And boy, they said he would diagram it with enthusiasm, with excitement. He Every year. And they already knew it. Most of them did. But he'd get up there and he'd tell them. He'd say, listen, guys. This is our bread and butter. This is our play. And everybody that plays us, they already know it's coming. But listen, if we run it to perfection with precision, we cannot be stopped. If we'll do this, we'll win. The church has a power sweep, and it's called the Great Commission. And listen, if we will run this play to perfection, with precision, with excellence, we can't be stopped. We can't be beat. And that play, you know, it was so simplistic. You know the beauty of the Great Commission? It's simple. You don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't have to have a Bible education. If you know Jesus, you can play. You can participate. You can get involved. And it's not optional. It's not an elective course in Christianity. Every one of you, individually, this is your purpose. This is your mission. We're going to talk about this morning. Whatever else you're doing in your life today, if you're not engaged in this, you're not in step with God because this is his heart. And you're being disobedient to the whole purpose for which he has saved you and left you here. Then it's not optional also for us as a church. We get away from this, you might as well shut off the lights. If we get away from this, we're as good as dead. You know, the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because it has no outlet. And a church that has no outlet of evangelism and missions, it's dead. So, we got to get this. We got to know this, and we got to run this play. So, let me read through it, and then we'll, we'll discuss it. Look at verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. 
God, I pray this morning for all of us here, we would, we would understand this great commission. God, I pray that you would enliven our hearts with a renewed passion this year to engage in your mission for your glory, for the growth of your kingdom, and so that we might know that you're with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's first look at the people of this mission, the people of this mission. Verse 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. So uh, here are the disciples. They're proceeding uh, to Galilee. They are responding to Christ. They're doing now what Christ told them to do. You, You know this over and over again. I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. After the resurrection, the women went and told them, meet him in Galilee. He told them to go there. They're responding. Now, they've not always been obedient. They've not always done what Christ told them to do, but now they're obedient. And at the beginning of the Great Commission is always obedient Christians. You cannot have a fulfillment of the Great Commission with Christians who won't simply obey. So you got these obedient Christians. They're responding to Christ, and they're meeting him in Galilee. Why Galilee? Uh, We've heard that over and over again. Why Galilee? Well, I think primarily uh, the opportunity was there for the disciples in Galilee to meet with Jesus in kind of a secluded spot to just have some one-on-one time with Jesus, just to kind of realign themselves. And, And isn't that good for all of us to occasionally get alone with God and spend some time with him to recalibrate our lives and to be reminded why we exist and what we're called to do? If you don't have some consistent time alone in God's word where you get away from everything, you get away from all the distractions, you need to do that. You need to set aside time where you get away and you're alone with Christ. So right there, we see a couple of criteria to doing the Great Commission. You, number one, you got to be obedient. Number two, you got to be spending time personally with Jesus. So here they are retreating to get alone with him. And then in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some were doubtful. Now, this is interesting because you got a, a kind of a division in their attitudes towards Christ as they gather up with him here. And so some are worshiping and some are doubtful. The question really is, why are some doubting? Why are there some here that have doubts? And I don't think that they are doubting Christ. I don't think that they're doubting that Christ is God. I don't think they're doubting the resurrection. I think they are doubting themselves. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. You've just blown it in a huge way, haven't you? I mean, these guys, they all, all of them, uh, in, when Christ needed them the most, they tucked tail and ran. They betrayed him. They weren't there at his most critical hour. And now as he kind of gathers them all up as a group again, I'm imagining that some of them were walking up thinking, I have blown it. I don't even know if I belong here. I don't even know if he'll still want me. I don't even know if I can participate in this mission he's called me to because of all my past junk. And so in the midst of focusing on their past and themselves... They are left in a place of doubt and probably a lot of discouragement and maybe even some depression. And so you've got this division. Why did some worship? Is it because they were better than these other people who maybe messed up? More, you know? No, I, I think the real difference is, is what they were focused upon. Those who were doubting were more focused on themselves and their past, and those who were worshiping were, were focused on Christ. 
And if you're here today, you're focusing on all your past mistakes and what you've done more than you're focusing on Jesus, you're going to be in a place of doubt. And if you're focusing Christ, you know what you'll realize? The glory and the graciousness of Christ far surpasses any of your past mistakes, and he still does, desires to use you. And so, uh, just practically speaking, where are you at this morning? Are you worshiping or are you doubting? And then I would ask you, what are you focused on? So here are these guys, they're worshiping, they're doubting, and they come up to Christ, and what is Christ going to do? How does Christ respond to them? Now, you think, of how would you have responded? How would you, you know, if it had been me, I'd have said, come on, guys, you blew it again. Here we go. How many times do I have to teach you? How many times do I have to push this into your minds? How many times do I have to show you? What do I got to do? If you guys keep blowing it like this, we're never going to get the job done. It's never going to happen. Is that what he does, though? He doesn't also go and say, hey, tell me about your doubts and fears. Why don't you go ahead and let's work through some of that a little bit. No. He comes right up to them and says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let's go. Now, I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Because just as Christ knew all the faults and the frailties and the mistakes and all the, the mess-ups that these disciples had made, and he comes to them, and despite all of that, he just says, listen, I got all authority. Let's just get busy. And so it is with me, and so it is with you. He knows all about your mess-ups, all your failures, all your mistakes, all your doubts about your own abilities. We all have them, don't we? Lord, kind of like Moses, you, you don't know how I talk. You know, I can't do it. But Jesus says, don't focus on that. Focus on me. I got all the power and all the authority. See, the confidence of Christ in this mission is, is almost staggering, isn't it? But is his confidence in those guys? Absolutely not. His confidence is in his power and his authority. His confidence is in his ability to do more through them than they ever thought possible. So let's just go. He's saying, quit worrying about the doubts and the discouragement. Just let's go. He doesn't address the doubts. He gives them a command to follow. He gives them something to do. And a lot of times Christ won't address your doubts. He'll just say, just get busy. Just be faithful. Just get engaged in the mission. I've got all the power. I've got all the authority. And you and I, as we go out, we have lots of authority. We have lots of power, but not in us. We only have it in as much as we abide under the authority of Christ. Like the president and his generals. The president's got generals. Do those generals have a lot of authority? Oh, goodness, they've got all kinds of authority. Powerful men. But they only have authority in as much as they obey the president. The greatest example of that was General MacArthur. He decided, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to go wherever I want. I'm going to lead my troops. I've earned the right to do whatever I want to do. And you remember that president from Missouri? I just might be a haberdasher from Missouri, but I'm still the president. And you, sir, are fired because you can't obey orders. So it is with us. Listen, we got nothing to worry about. We got great authority. We got great power. We got great confidence. But only in as much as we abide under the authority of Christ and follow his directives. So you, you kind of see the people that are engaged in this mission. And I hope you and I can identify with them. Because we're people that are sinners. And we've made mistakes. And we've blown it. But Christ just says, just look at me. Just focus in on me. And let's go get this job done. I'll take care of it. I'm the answer to all your problems. You just focus on me. 
So those are the people, but then he gives us the purpose. What's the purpose? He tells us uh, in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. Now there's one command, one command in the Great Commission. Don't forget this, one command. The command is to make disciples. That's the command. The command is not to go. In our English translations, it looks like go is a command. In the Greek, it's just a participle. It's just uh, describing the process of making disciples. Making disciples is the command. That is what we are called to do. Make disciples of all the nations. And it's so important that we have clarity on this because we are tempted, I believe, to do everything except that which God has called us to do, to get engaged in all kinds of other things. And, you know, as a church, we ought to be careful that, we, that our goal is not just simply to fill up the building. And that's a great thing. We, we do want the building to be filled. But that's not the goal. That, that's not what Christ called us to do. He didn't say get as many people in as you can. The goal is not even to get as many people as we can through that baptistry. That's awesome. That's great. That's, but that's, not, that, that's not ultimately what he called us to do. He called us to make disciples. That's what we've been called to do. And you look at the model of Christ. What was the model of Christ? Jesus, three years of ministry here on earth. Did he do a lot of great things in three years of ministry? He did a lot of stuff. John said if we recorded all, all libraries in the world, couldn't contain it. A lot of miracles, a lot of ministry, spoke to a lot of people. But when he gathers on this mountain, how many guys are there? Eleven. Three years of ministry, eleven guys. We would say, that's not that impressive. But what do we know about those eleven guys? They were so committed to Christ. It was not about the, the quantity. It was about the quality of the men he produced. And these men are going to go out and turn the world upside down by impacting one person at a time. They're going to create ripples that will extend all the way to a little place called Lenexa, Kansas. And all of us in this room can trace our spiritual lineage back to one of these 11 guys. And that's what we're called to do. You know, we, we often think, I want to make these big splash with my life. And, you know, it, you know Pastor, we, we got to be careful that it doesn't become about how many, how many followers we have and building a brand. It, it's, not any, it's not about any of that. I, I had a mentor who used to tell me two things you need to keep in front of you. How well you loved your wife and your children and how many people love and are following Jesus faithfully because they knew you? How many people could you point to today that you could say that person, that individual right there loves Jesus and is faithfully following him because I was in their life? That's what we've been called to do. That's the gauge of success. We, we make success a whole lot of other things other than that. And I don't need to go into all the other things we make success. That's success. When you're at the end of your life, how many people are out there preaching the gospel and living Christ and making disciples because you were in their life? That's, that's what we were called to do. And then he gives us a three-part process. That's, that's, that's how do we do this? Well, he tells us, very simple, making disciples involves three things. First of all, it involves going. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Going. Now, I said earlier, it's a participle. I think the best translation of this would be, as you go, make disciples. In other words, evangelism and missions is not a program. And we, we got to be careful because as staff, we can turn it into a program. It's not a program. It's your life. 
Paul said, if I'm to go on living on the flesh, that'll just mean fruitful labor for me. All of his life was about the gospel and about mission. Uh, when I was at my first church in Montgomery, Alabama, we moved. We had visitation night and go see guests and visit folks. And it was on Tuesday nights, and we moved it to Sunday nights. And I had one of the guys come to me and said, Pastor, I, I can't go on Sunday nights. Would it, could I still go out and visit people on Tuesday nights? Yeah, brother, you can go any night, you know? I mean, and I thought immediately what hit me was, shame on me, because somehow we've communicated to these people that, that it's about showing up at a particular time to grow, go out, and we've forgotten that all of our lives are a mission trip. We've got to start viewing our homes, uh, our workplaces, our schools as a mission trip. That wherever you're at today, you're not there by accident. God has placed you there to be a light for him, to be on mission for him. How well are you doing today? Now, it does mean that occasionally we intentionally go out on mission trips, and we need to do that, and you ought to be doing that. But our life needs to be a mission trip. As you go, it also involves baptizing them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, you guys have heard me say this before, but baptism in the New Testament, there was a lot on the line. You went public. It, it meant we've turned baptism into a private celebration. In the first century, it was, a pub, it was truly a public confession. You got, you got baptized in full view of everybody. I say if we really wanted to live out the spirit of baptism, we'd baptize you on the, at the front door of your workplace or the steps of the school where everybody could see. That's what it was intended to be, quite frankly. And what was the idea there? With all this on the line, in the first century, it wasn't just that people might ridicule you. You could lose your life, and a lot of Christians did. But what did Christ want to know on the front end? He wanted to know, are you serious about following me? Is this just signing up for a life insurance policy? Or do you really love me? That's baptism. It's making sure that these people we lead to faith in Christ, it's not just a notch on our belt. It's not just a number that we put out there and say, well, we got one more for Jesus. No, it's about making sure that we come alongside that individual and we help grow them. We, when a baby's born, the baby doesn't come out. and We just say, well, that's great. Figure it out on your own. No, we hopefully, uh, we have a mom and a dad that come alongside that baby and, and they care for them because they're not ready. We, we nurture them. We help them understand what it means to live and help them provide. That. But we got to come alongside these people that come to faith in Christ and help them understand the commitment that they're making. That they understand if you want to know Jesus, you got to be willing to die. And that's the picture of baptism, that you're dying to an old way of life. But you're finding new life, new meaning, new purpose in Jesus as you're raised a new creation. Baptize them. You make sure that they're truly committed to Jesus. And baptize them in what? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't just read through. It's not just some triad formula. Jesus is warning us every time we baptize somebody, and when you get baptized... It's a reminder that the triune God is involved in your salvation. Isn't that an amazing thought? 
that God the Father chose to redeem me. Christ the Son accomplished my redemption, and Christ the Spirit, or God the Spirit, applies that redemption in my life. And we're going to see that God has eternally been triune. Oh, it's a beautiful picture as we're going to see in Genesis. But isn't that amazing? So, you got to go as you go, and you got to baptize them, and then finally teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Teaching them. Meaning and teaching, present tense, you never stop learning as a believer. Uh, I've told you about Dr. McGorman when I was at Southwestern Seminary. And he had been teaching, at that point, he had been teaching the Word of God for 50 years. And he said, rarely a day goes by that God doesn't teach me something new about himself in his Word. And as a young man starting out, that astounded me. Isn't that the beauty of God's word? That a new Christian, a baby believer, can pick up this book and be taught by God. And the most mature of saints can still go to it and be deepened in their walk with Jesus. Now the content of our teaching is what? It's the Bible, isn't it? We don't get away from God's word. That's the content of our instruction. We always go to God's word. Whatever discipleship you're doing, if God's word is not the foundation of it, if it's not the focal point of it, get out of it. It's doing you no benefit. God's word is the foundation of all of our study and all of our discipleship. And the goal is what? Teaching them to observe. Teaching them to obey that the goal is not just information in your head the goal is life transformation that as we follow Christ we learn more about his word we're transformed daily I don't care if you got more degrees than a thermometer you've been to seminary and you got a uh, I call it cemetery sometimes but uh, you, you've been to seminary you got a PhD whatever you've been through more classes set through more sermons whatever listen if you're not growing more in Christ likeness you've missed the whole point You can teach all the Bible studies in the world, but if you go out and treat people like dirt, you've missed the point. And that's my fear. In the church, we've got a lot of people who are educated beyond their obedience. You know, you've heard it said, it's not the parts of God's word that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of God's words that I do understand and I don't obey. We're intended to live this stuff out. The goal is application, transformation. And so teaching them to observe, that's the process. Going, baptizing, teaching, and then it comes with a great promise. And lo, I'm with you always. What a great promise. Don't we all, don't we always, we pray a lot. God go with us today. God go with us. And we're kind of uncertain. Will he be with us? I don't know. Let's pray about it. Let's hope he is. There is a surefire way to know that Christ will go with you tomorrow when you get up. And that is to make sure that you are obeying his mission. See, this is not a carte blanche promise. You can't do whatever you want to do and assume that Christ is going to go with you. You've got to engage in the mission. So you can do whatever you want to do and hope God will bless it and hope Christ will go with you. Or you could just simply do what Christ has commanded you to do and know that he'll go with you. 
I think let's just go with the latter. Amen? Let's just stick with that plan. So, as we conclude, let's make this very practical. If you're here this morning, you don't know Christ, you're a non-believer, I hope and pray that you see in this that you are made for more. That life is not just about getting up, going to work so you can make some money, so you can buy some stuff, so you can go home, go to bed, get up in the morning, go to work, so you can make some money, so you can buy some more stuff, so you can go to bed and get up the next day. Listen, that is depressing just saying it. And yet that's most of the world. God has set eternity in your heart, and you will never be happy, and you'll never truly be fulfilled until you engage in an eternal mission. But you've got to know him first. You can't be involved in his mission until you're in his family by means of faith in Christ. Then secondly, if you're here and you know Christ this morning, how are you doing in terms of this mission? And as you look towards 2020 and you're asking Christ to be with you in 2020, the real question is not will Christ be with you, but will you be faithful to his mission? So what are your goals? I hope and pray you've set it as a goal to lead somebody to faith in Christ this next year. Listen, I love you inviting people to the church. And I hope you continue to do that. But Lenexa Baptist Church, that name never saved anybody. And it would be more meaningful to me, and I believe more meaningful to Christ, is if you just bypassed the invitation to church and just invited them to know Jesus. And then we'll pray that the church attendance will follow. And listen, don't mishear me. I'm so proud of you for inviting people to church, and I want you to do that. Don't mishear me. But who have you told about Christ? There's nothing greater in all this world. Set that as a goal in your life this next year. Teaching, who are you discipling? Do you have anybody in your life that you're investing into today so that they're growing in Christ-likeness, so that when you come to the end of your life, you've got some people that you can point to and say, they're tracking with Jesus today because God used me to touch their life. That when it comes to your day of your home going, there's a room full of people who say, I wouldn't be where I'm at today apart from his witness. Who are you discipling? That's what God has called you to do. Who are you teaching? Are you engaged in the mission? You know, some of you might be called to international missions. Some of you might be called vocationally to give your life to international missions. In a church this size, it, it's really been burdening my heart lately that we don't have more people stepping up to say, you know what, God's calling me to, to pick up everything I own and go to another country in a foreign place to be a witness for Christ. And you know, as Southern Baptists, we have a unique program called the Cooperative Program. I don't have time to describe it for you, but what it means is through the International Mission Board and the Cooperative Program, we have the ability to send out missionaries who are fully funded through the Southern Baptist Convention, meaning they don't have to come home every six weeks or six months and beg people to give. They're not going to make a lot of money. They're not going to get wealthy, but they're supported by gifts that we give to the Cooperative Program and churches, 46,000 churches across this great nation. They give to that program to send missionaries out. College students, if you, there's a two-year program 
called the Journeyman Program. You can give up two years of your life. Two years. And they will pay you to go. You got to go through their process. It's a lengthy process. You're going to sign up to go. They're going to make sure you know Jesus and you're called to go and you're equipped to go. But they will send you out. I had a guy in my first church in Valley, Alabama, who got sent to Aqaba, Jordan, spent two years of his life, and it transformed him radically. Just at a unique stage in life where he could go. He didn't have a lot of things tying him down, he just went. They have a program for retired individuals. Called ISC program. Retired individuals, imagine this. You can give up two years or three years. I think you can go as many four. You're going to re up. How cool would that be to retire and say, I'm going to go serve the Lord on the mission field for the next two years of my life? How amazing. Maybe God is tugging on your heart and you need to respond. In whatever way God is moving, we always say this. You'll never regret obeying Jesus. You'll never regret being engaged in this mission. There's nothing like it. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word that directs us with great simplicity to a mission that is bigger than ourselves, that is worldwide in scope, that comes with the promise of your presence and the promise of your victory. And God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray, God, that they would understand they're made for more and they find that purpose and they find that meaning in Christ alone. I pray that they'd run to you. Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that as we begin a new year, we commit ourselves to you and to your word and to your mission, that we might know your presence and your power. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.